so glad that you have found this to be your place of worship tonight and uh, you found your way to the Refuge family. We've got folks from all three campuses here tonight. We've got Jonesboro campus. Uh, we, yes, we do. We've got West campus here. Hallelujah. We've got, uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Mark Dream. I'm just messing with you. That's the ones you don't mess with. You don't mess with them. But I'm thrilled everybody's here. Even more than that, there's guests here tonight that have made this your place of worship and how honored we are that you have. If you are a guest, you've not been here before, uh, there's a green card located in the chair back in front of you. Would you consider filling out that information? Leave it in the one of the boxes as you depart the sanctuary. Here's why we want that information, because we're going to thank you in a proper way for being here today, and we want to get the chance to do that, and we hope that we get to see you again real, real soon. Uh, seniors, uh, you have an event coming up. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I know that you're excited about it coming up this week. And if you don't know about that, you're just going to want to talk to Sister Sandra. She's just got all the information for you on that. Uh, and uh, next Sunday is Multiplication Sunday, Sunday morning. All three campuses will be right here. And we, can I tell you, we have a lot to celebrate about things multiplied in 2023. So, uh, so you don't want to be anywhere but here 10 o'clock uh, this coming Sunday morning. And, uh, and I know that it'll be a huge blessing to you. Um, tonight, we're getting ready to worship the Lord uh, with our tithes and offerings. And if you'd like to uh, sow, if you'd like to tithe, you can do that online. Uh, you can go to refugechurchag.com. Uh, you can also uh, utilize the boxes as you leave today with your envelopes and your giving, or uh, you can select uh, the option of the QR code uh, that's available to you right there on the screen. And uh, it is Erica approved. She said today that we did that just for her, and she's thankful for it, uh, or something like that is what she said. Uh, and uh, so uh, you just uh, you you just know this uh, that God is is taking note of every seed that is planted. The Bible is very clear uh, about the, the, the parables that has to do with the seed, whether it is the word, whether it is Paul talking to Corinth about sowing into ministry or another church. When you sow, God takes notice of that, and it becomes seed that grows into a harvest of a great many things. But the key of it is, make it seed. Don't just make it contribution. Just, well, I gave a little something. No, no, no. Seed is planted intentionally. Knowing that somehow or another, God's able to turn my investment of seed into a soul saved somewhere around the world. What a deal. What a deal. So we're sowing tonight, and we're knowing that we're doing this intentionally, believing for God to bring a harvest. Father, we're grateful tonight that we get to be part of your kingdom economy. And so, Lord, right now, we bring your tithes, and we sow our seed into the ground of ministry. Grateful we have this ground. And Lord, we are believing you for a harvest of souls. Those who don't know you to hear your name, Jesus, and come to know who you are. Those who need the light to penetrate their darkness. Lord, through our missions, through our outreaches, through our ministries, and all of our partnerships. Lord, that you're finding hurting and lost people, bringing them to yourself. We believe that tonight. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you tithe and as you sow. 
uh, tonight. Uh, before we get to the message tonight, I want to I want to take a moment and mention something important to you uh, because I want you praying for the family. And in case you may not be aware of it uh, yet, but uh, from 1984 to 1994, uh, Pastor Tommy Carpenter uh, and Melba pastored this church, and uh, were very faithful here and uh, raised up. There were a lot of a lot of folks that came to know the Lord during that time. Folks that consider them uh, father and mother in the faith, and uh, and did such a such a such an important job of moving the church forward in some different areas, TV ministry, missions, different things, and that were established during that time, like our like our our missions trips and those things, and uh, just were such an important part of, of, of the story of where God has led this church, and, and uh, it, it came to be that, uh, uh, that this morning, a little after six o'clock, Brother Carpenter made his transition into heaven, and, uh, and so I'm going to be asking you uh, to pray for his family and uh, pray that the, uh, the peace and the comfort of God will just uh, lift them, surround them, and carry them as they go forward, and uh, we will do our best to release to you information concerning his arrangements uh, via social media when we uh, when we have those, but uh, but please keep that family in your prayer. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that we honored uh, Brother Carpenter tonight in our service, and that you have that family on your heart and in your mind uh, as you move forward tonight. Now then, about two thousand and thirty years ago. <clears throat> There was a group of men, and we honestly, for what tradition has made it into, we really don't know how many of them there were. I know what your nativity set at home shows you. I know, and there's three gifts, so there's got to be three kings, right, and all of these. But we really don't know how many magi there were. But what we know about these men is more important than their number. We understand that when we're introduced to them, and once we're introduced, we're told their story, and then we really don't hear much about them again. They are dropped in Scripture in a singular location in time, but they tell an important story because the only thing we really know about the Magi, the wise men, in the Christmas story, the only thing we really know about why they're deposited in Scripture is this. These men went on a journey of worship. They left where they were from. They left their kingdoms. They left their roles and assignments. They left their families and their responsibilities to go on a journey simply because they had seen a star. They were astrologers, so they understood that there was meaning in the star, and so they paid attention to it. And as they paid attention, they realized that this is a star that was spoken of, and this must mean that a Messiah has come for the Jewish people. In other words, a king. Can you imagine these men that we consider kings decided they were going to go worship another king? There's really a tale of a few kings in this story because they stopped by Herod. He was a king. And although he said he had intent to worship, he really didn't want to go worship. He had a much different agenda. But imagine these men with status, 
education. They had riches and wealth because of the gifts we, they brought. We know this. We know that they were important in their day and that they were as probably as educated as anyone was. And yet they dropped all of that to pursue what they knew was a baby king. They weren't going to receive anything. They weren't going to, uh, to have any special accolades brought to them. They weren't going for there to be any recognition. They weren't going to have any political influence. They were going on a journey to worship the king. And I can tell you that as I have dug into this story in the last, in the last I don't know how long it's been, a couple of weeks, I can tell you I am challenged to make the journey of my life one that goes to worship the king. That whether I pass over a mountain or cross through a valley, I'm still headed to worship Jesus. I, I just wonder if there'd be a fire in our belly enough to say that even when the enemy tries to put obstacles and tries to put issues, we would say, well, the one thing you won't stop me from doing is worshiping Jesus. Because I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things that come to your life and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the plan of those things is to steal your worship. Because an enemy wants to steal your intimacy with God. He doesn't want you in his presence. He doesn't want you hearing his voice. He doesn't want you receiving instruction and correction and conviction. Those things would be, that would be uh, terrible for his kingdom if you were to get aligned properly with God. If you were to get into the presence of the Lord where there's fullness of joy. If you were to begin to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, the enemy doesn't want that. So he, he, will, he will put things in our path. And the, and the intent is to steal our worship, steal our praise, to steal that journey to where we're drawing near to the Lord. And if we're honest about it, we know what some of those obstacles have been. You can go back and point to, man, the enemy was trying to steal my worship right there. He was trying to get my mind off of God. He was trying to get my focus away from the presence of God and the priorities that are important. He was trying to, and here's the thing about the enemy. Once we expose him, we can then expel him. I said to you, once we expose him, then we can expel him. So we're exposing tonight that the enemy is after your capacity to worship the king. Because if you ever get to the place you worship the king, now we're going there in a minute because we're going to exegete this passage of scripture. But if you ever get to the place to where you enter into the house and you spend time with the king, just you and him, it's Psalm 91 getting up under his wing. It is coming into the secret place. Of the most high. It is the it's coming into the to the most holy place. If you can think about the times when being deeply in the presence of the Lord changed your life, and you realize that's what the enemy wants to steal. When you recognize that, you'll never want to let that be stolen from you ever again. I don't want it to be stolen from me by a headache. I don't want it to be stolen from me by distractions in the phone. I don't want it to be stolen because when I find in his presence his fullness of joy, I want to be there. That in his presence, he dispenses understanding to me that I need. 
in his presence, he affirms. I, I don't know. Have you, have you gotten close to love? Are you intimate enough with Jesus that you, you know what it's like to get up close to him and he starts affirming you and not just correcting you? Come on, holiness church. I know how we are. We are more comfortable being corrected by God than being affirmed by God. If he convicts us, if he's, if he's showing us where we're wrong, we're more comfortable with that than if he tells, he tells us, you know what, Haley? I now, you're not this way because you're actually the opposite, and I know that. But we're more comfortable with his correction than him saying, Haley, I love you, and you're really going to make it. Some of us struggle with receiving that from the Lord. I'm going to tell you, if you get in his presence just right, that is what you'll hear. Because he's in a, well, I'm not really sure about that. Well, then read your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where we find out that the gifts of the Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit says through people to men, are about encouragement and edification. So if it's a struggle for you to be encouraged and edified by the voice of God, you, you're, that's a struggle you're going to need to confront and overcome. Because if you need to hear an attaboy from anybody, it's from the Lord. I mean, I'm thankful when people will tell me that I've done well or I've helped them or I've blessed them. You know, I'm grateful for that because I count that as the Lord speaking to me to encourage me. But when I'm alone and the whisper of the Spirit of God to my soul is, Son, I love you. Son, I'm behind you. Keep going. Son, you're not going to fail in this so you can walk in faith. That means everything. And you know where you find that? In his presence. And to get there, I, I got to worship. So this journey of worship that we're in is so very, very important because it is so very life-giving. So have we read the scripture yet? No? Oh, man. Oh, help us, Jesus. Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1, here's the story. You know it, but let's look at it through a little bit more meticulous eyes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and we come to worship him. It's kind of interesting here. It's as if they expect everybody knows the answer to this question. Interesting to me that people who aren't even Jews, astrologers from another culture, are more sensitive to the birth of Jesus than his own people were. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, because this is the first he's heard of it. And all Jerusalem with him, and when he had gathered all chiefs, priests, and scribes and people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Pause, aside, soliloquy. Just a moment. Let me say, you, O Judah, are not the least, because out of you, hold on, you got to read scripture slower, you'll miss good things. You're not the least. Maybe not even because of what you are right now, but because of who will come out of you. you if you'll hang in there, you don't know what God's going to do through you just yet. You don't know what that child or grandchild's going to be just yet. 
Hold on, you feel like, I don't know that I did very much. I don't know, I've tried, but I don't know, but you don't know what's coming out of you. Out of you may be coming the next Billy Graham. Okay, you don't know. You don't know just yet. Then Herod, verse 7, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. There's a, there's a, there's a wonderful poem about that statement. It goes like this. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> revelation, Revelation 21.8. Some of you know that one too. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come in, so rejoicers, dancers, praisers, go ahead and be exceedingly joyful because when you're joyful, it just lets me know you've seen the star. It just lets me know you've caught a glimpse of what God is doing and you're just excited about it. So go right on with that. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream they should not return to here, they departed for their own country another way. Now then, I'm going to catch you up if you weren't in this service here this morning. Because all I preached was one point of this message. You're not shocked. And it was this. The wise men's worship journey began because they received the invitation. See, when they saw the star and prophetically they understood what it meant, they took that as an invitation to go worship the king that it stood for. And all, all I have to say to you about that is, have you taken seriously the invitations you've received to come worship the king? Not just the invitation you received to go with somebody to church or the invitation to salvation at the end of a service. That's important. Hope you've done that. You're going to need to. But beyond that, have you taken the invitations, the many of them in Scripture? When we find out that we are in Hebrews instructed that we can boldly approach the throne of grace that we might obtain help in the time of need. Do you take that as an invitation? Or is that just there in case I need it? Well, you know, if I have a bad day, I got that scripture in my back pocket, I'll pull it out. No, I took that as permission. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, then let me wear that wet welcome out. I'm just going to take advantage of that every time I get the chance. If I can approach the throne of the creator, he lets me, he wants me. What a deal. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. What an invitation. God doesn't say, well, I guess I'll allow it. No, he welcomes it. 
He wants it. See, this whole redemption thing and Calvary was because God wanted you with him. That's what he wants. He didn't just allow you in because you accidentally heard about the plan of salvation and he had to let you in because you prayed the right prayer. He'd been waiting on the moment when you were going to pray that prayer. He's been setting everything in life, in your life in motion for that moment when you would say yes to Jesus. And he could welcome you like the prodigal son right in. And when the prodigal came home, he didn't sneak him in the back door. What did he do? He gave him a robe on his shoulders, a ring on his finger, killed the fatted calf, and we had a party because my son that was dead has now come back to life. God celebrates when we come home to him. That's his intent. Have you, have you received that invitation of Jesus says, if any man thirst, let him come. And you know, I know you can get legalistic with that and you can say, well, I did come and take of the water of life freely. I did come to him and drink because I came and I got saved. But that's not all it says there. He said, if any man, any must mean any, or he'd have said something different, because remember, the Bible's spirit breathed by God. If any man thirst, lost man, saved man. Because I don't know about you, but since I've been saved, I've been thirsty a whole lot. A lot of times when I need to go back and get another drink. If any man thirst, lost or saved, come to me and drink. It's no condemnation. We're not looking down. If, you, if you're at a place where you realize I need more, come to me and drink. How many invitations do we have to get before we understand the Lord is drawing us to himself? And my question for you is, have you responded to the invitation? Not once, but repeatedly. In fact, is that your lifestyle? The Magi took time out of their normal life, quite a time. They traveled intently, intentionally, over distance to make it their lifestyle for that season to go on a worship journey? Have you made it your lifestyle to go on a journey of worship because you heard that invitation? Now, realize this. They, they welcomed the invitation and then they did this. They worshiped in their journey with abandon. What do you mean? They literally abandoned whatever was going on in their life to take this journey. This is unprecedented. This is not what any one of them have ever done before. Sometimes the Lord calls us to move out of what we've always done to do into what he's calling us to do. To move into the thing that he has prepared for us. To draw nearer to him. And they didn't care to take the journey. They didn't mind at all. And I'm going to tell you sometimes it's so easy for us to read scripture and not put ourselves in it. And miss some of the important things like this. If, if you read the Bible correctly and if you look at the fact they brought these gifts, their position, who these men were, it's very likely that they traveled with quite an entourage. The preparations for their trip would have been enormous. Physically, financially, staff-wise, they, they, they had to make preparation for this trip. They didn't just, it wasn't just, oh, well, there's a star, I wonder what that's about. And wander off. Which is sometimes how we worship God. A good song comes on the radio and we think, oh, 
Yeah, that's good. Well, Lord, you really are good. Hmm. But what if we woke up every morning and said, Lord, I'm going to intentionally build my life today. I've got responsibilities. I'm going to do the things I need to do. But in my heart, I'm going to make sure that I get ready to make this day about worshiping you. So when I'm serving my client, when I'm doing the work, when I'm standing on the factory line, there's something in my heart that is reaching out to you in worship. And the way that I'm serving, the way I'm doing my work, the way that I'm speaking and carrying myself, I'm laying it out like a sacrifice before you because you laid everything out for me. And so now, Lord, the entire intentional journey of my life, all of it is about worshiping you. They didn't care how long it took or how much it cost. How do we know this? Because they followed a star not knowing exactly what route, what the destination, because they didn't know the destination, Pastor. No, because they had to go to Herod and ask. What if, I'm just positing this for you to think about. What if the answer from the, the religious leaders had been, instead of Bethlehem, Judah, what if the answer had been, well, He's going to be born in Greece. Well, unless you know geography, that means nothing to you. But if these gentlemen have already traveled from the east into central Israel, and now they could have been told he's going to be born anywhere, they were ready to go anywhere to worship the king. They didn't care. It didn't matter. That is a lot of applications for us. Some of you, the Lord has asked to do some very difficult things in your life. Some of you, you've had to sacrifice certain things to do, to, to obey. Some of you, he's asked to lay out certain parts of your life or turn away from doing that or, or to give a certain time or to give a certain amount of money, and, and you've done that. And I'm telling you, the heart of a worship journeyer is the one that never is worried about what is required. Because your focus is simply on, I just want Jesus. Everything else is collateral. It doesn't matter. It can go by the wayside. That's what they did. They worshiped with abandon. They were willing to follow a star. Now, we're going to get to the star in just a minute because there's a lot packed in there. And they were willing to follow an unfamiliar path. If you go forward in the Lord, if you decide to grow in God, if you decide to draw closer to Jesus in your journey worshiping and following and obeying him, I can tell you, you will reach some unfamiliar territory. How many of you would say in the last several months you have had to, over, uh, to tread over some unfamiliar territory in your life? The Lord has led you to do some unfamiliar things. If we're following the Lord, that is going to be part of it. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It means you're just following that star. And I know that our flesh winces and cringes at the unfamiliar. But your spirit is reaching forward to what God has. They worshiped with abandon. And remember, they didn't know where they would end up. But their worship wasn't haphazard. Because they worshiped with direction. Now you say, well, pastor, but we just... You just said they didn't know where that was going to end up. No, they didn't know where it was going to end up. But they were following a star. 
They were following a supernatural sign in the heavens. Supernatural direction toward the will of God for my life. I wonder if that might put us in mind of following the direction of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I don't know exactly where you're going to cause me to end up. I don't know how all of this plays out. But I do know I trust you and I'm following you. If it gets rocky, I'm still going. If it gets unfamiliar, I'm still going. Because Holy Spirit, you've not led me wrong yet. Why? Because Jesus said he guides us into all truth. That's his job. And by the way, he's very good at it. They were willing to follow what would seem to others like something goofy. The star, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pack the camels up. Get expensive gifts ready. Go on a trip of unknown destination for who knows how long to follow a star. You know somebody was talking about these guys. There were Facebook posts about these guys. Somebody in your world has probably talked about you too when you started following the Holy Spirit. Because he doesn't always do things the way man does things. And he doesn't follow the same textbook everybody else does because he has the plan of God in mind for your life. They worshiped with direction. Now I'm going to bring it into your personal worship. And I'm going to teach for just a moment and stop yelling. Although I'll yell in a minute because it feels real good. But, but I will teach for just a second. When you're following the Lord in your personal worship, there is that same star. If you will pray and enter into your prayer closet and yield to the Holy Spirit, he will lead you how to approach the Lord, how to worship, how to focus, how to hear what comes next. In fact, that Holy Spirit direction needs to mark your prayer life. It is cooperating with the wisdom and the all-knowing of heaven when you do that. When you, and what, what, what's the one key that you could give me to be able to do that? Here's the word, pause. In all of your talking, pause just a second and see where Holy Spirit's leading. Because he'll bring things to your mind that weren't there in the first place. Man, I, I'm trying to pray. Seriously, this will happen and somebody will say stuff like this. I was trying to pray the other day and these people's faces just kept coming to my mind and I couldn't get my praying done. Well, you were supposed to be interceding for all those people. I just, I just, I kept, I kept, I kept hearing this one word. I just wanted to get rid of it. I'm trying to focus on you, Jesus, and I'm hearing this one word. Holy Spirit's trying. He's trying real hard. But if you pause, if you give him a gap to speak or nudge you or lead you or show you, he'll do it. And he won't just do it in your prayer time. He'll do it in every moment of your walk. And if you get good at yielding to that, you'll find out that you're one who is actually led by the Spirit of God. And so I'm encouraging, follow the star. Somebody say, follow the star. And as they followed the supernatural sign, as you follow the Spirit, you're going to discover, if you look around in life, if you start 
on this journey where my life is about worshiping God and I'm focused on Him and my end goal is to be nearer to Jesus with everything and we'll worship following Holy Spirit. You may find yourself in a place where you look around and it's not always very crowded. These guys came and they were their own entourage. I find it interesting. They come into Jerusalem. They, not the people in the temple, not the scribes and Pharisees, not the priests. These men from a distant land, astrologers, had had the revelation, Messiah has been born. They show up and say, where is he? They know the answer because they know the prophetic word. They head out to go worship him. And we don't have any record that anyone went with them. Herod took it all so seriously until he was going to make assignments to have that baby killed. So everyone knew this is serious. They knew it was legitimate. And nobody went with them? Seriously, Israel? Some of y'all been praying and waiting on the Messiah? And the prophetic things have aligned until wise men from the east know it's happening. Herod believes it's happening. And no one goes with them. Because when we're told in a moment that they went into the house, evidently it was just them. And when you start following the Lord on that level, to where you're led by the Spirit, you're on your journey towards the intimate, deep heart of Jesus. You'll look around sometimes and there won't be a lot of people following you. There won't necessarily be a big crowd. You may find yourself talking to other Christians that don't even know what you're talking about. And by the way, here's what you do with them. Here's what I tell you to do with them. Just make them thirsty. Just make them thirsty for it. Don't get down on them. Don't condemn them. Don't do anything. Don't get frustrated. I just don't know why they don't see. Stop that. Just salt their life with your life. Just make them want what you got. Make them want what you found. Show them you got the water, and then they'll want to go find it too. But sometimes you have to be willing to be in the place to where, though none go with me, still I follow. Even my believing friends don't really know what all I'm talking about right now. That's okay. That's okay. You're following the star. You're not following men. Well, that wasn't a popular point. Let's try something else and see how you like it. Now, that was, oh, by the way, let me just tell you how it works in a worship service, too. Let me tell you how that works, how that plays out in a worship service. If you're worshiping the Lord and you are feeling connected and you're being drawn in and you're going somewhere and you're approaching the Lord and you're pouring your heart out to Him, however you do that, and it feels as dead as a doornail around you, ignore the dead and head toward the life. I've been in many services and led a whole bunch of them where I felt like I had the only water bucket in the room. I'm going to carry my bucket. And if your bucket, if you want your bucket to be empty, that's up to you. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about whether anybody's coming with me on this journey. Sometimes you look around and you think, am I the only one that feels this? I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I felt that way in many, many church services. 
Am I the only one that understands that the God of heaven is trying to break into people's lives and destroy fear and overcome sin and give them a future and a hope and do miracles? Am I the only one that knows that the king creator has walked in this room and wants to breathe into someone's life? Am I, I've felt that way. Wow, I don't know if anybody understands or feels this. Sometimes you're going to sense that. Don't worry about it. You got to keep right on trucking. Because these, these wise men, I love them. They, they didn't seem to be deterred by really anything. They knew Herod was a joker. They didn't go back and do what he asked them to do. Oh, well, you can help me find Jesus. Oh, come on. But they weren't deterred by the fact that they just got directions and they went home a different way. But nothing deterred them, even though they were traveling alone. Wouldn't that be interesting to be in a foreign land? You're there to worship that culture's Messiah, and you're the only one that wants to, and his own culture don't want him. Hmm. Now then, uh, let's see here. Oh, this is good. Let's say this. There was a great test for their worship, and you'll, you'll experience tests for your worship too. Because in verse 7, now they do meet Herod, and look what they did, or rather what they did not do. Because Herod tries to rope them into his purposes. Oh, well, when you find me, you know, bring, the, bring back word so I can go worship him. But they never aligned with Herod. Philip talked about what God said to you about alignment. These, these men, they, did, they had the chance to worship with a king, to, to align with another king. He was kind of on their level. But he didn't have the right spirit, and they didn't align with him. It doesn't matter. If they don't have the right spirit, don't align with them. What did they not do? Here's the lesson. In their journey of worship, and this is what I'm challenging you to do, in your journey of worship in your life, don't worship the wrong king. Because this is what they had, the ch they had the chance to align with Herod and enter into his purposes, which would have been evil and would have been terrible. And they didn't do it. Don't worship the wrong king. Because I'm going to tell you, when you decide that you're going to give your heart to worship, when you're going to give your heart to the Lord, there'll be many idols that show up and vie for your attention. Oh, well, if you're going to wear your heart on your sleeve, let me give you the chance to worship me. Insert. Money, fame, opportunities, people, you name it. If you're going to be a worshiper, well, here, worship this. And you'll find the opportunity to worship the wrong king will come. And come often. But they were following the star. And until I get to the Messiah, I'm not interested in the rest of this. Unless your name is Jesus, you don't deserve my worship. Recognize, let the Holy Spirit point out idolatry in your life. Pastor, I'm not an idolater. Ask the Holy Spirit that. He'd be better to answer it for you. But don't worship the wrong king. Now their visit then to Herod revealed that worship does something else. Worship stirs up the enemy. Worship their journey to worship Jesus stirred up the enemies of Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, when your heart gets really after God, 
you will stir up an enemy. When you start, like, because, listen, well, he doesn't know my thoughts. Nobody's watching your actions and hearing your words. And when it starts becoming evident that you have put Jesus first and you're putting other things second and you're making priorities and you're making faith steps and you're, making, uh, and you're putting things in front of you that are of God and not of, of the world, the enemy's going to notice this and you can be sure he's going to attack your worship. He's going to say, let me just see if I can oppose What's going on? This is why some of you make forward steps. You're going towards God. You're making wise decisions. You're putting away the flesh, and it seems to get only harder. Ever had that happen? You're making great decisions. You're jumping in there with God. You're making face steps, and boy, it's getting hard. Yeah, because you stirred up an enemy. You used to be cooperating with him, but now, now you're on another team, and you've stirred him up. When you decide to pursue Jesus in worship, it confronts everything that wants to be king besides him. And you're going to have some opposition. If you decide to be a worshiper, the enemy's going to oppose and confront you. Let's bring that into worship in our personal lives and at church service. And you're worshiping the Lord or you're focused. You're focused on Jesus. Your heart is towards him. You love him. You want to worship But now crazy thoughts pass through your mind. You ever had that? You're trying to focus on the Lord. I've told this story about 27 times. I'll tell it again. Some of you hadn't heard all the stories yet, so I'll tell them. Some of you have forgotten. Boyd and Lorraine Smith were, uh, loved me greatly, and they were, um, they were pastors. They pastored in Mariana for many years, and um, they were wonderful people of God, but they were very advanced in age when I got to Jonesboro, but they always wanted me to come over to their house and uh, late at night. They, they, they stayed up late. They were older folks that stayed up late, and they wanted me to come over and, and talk, and they would tell me all these stories from the old days, and Brother Smith would always tell me this story. Maybe the reason I repeat it is because he repeated it to me on many occasions, and this is what he tells. They were in Marianna, and they had a visiting evangelist preaching, and uh, they said every day they would hear him. They stayed with him in their house in the back room, and they would hear him praying back there, pray loud, uh, and uh, you know, like Pentecostal people used to do. And he, he would pray loud. Yes, I dropped that bomb on you, folks. I sure did. And he was praying loud, so they always knew what he was praying. And 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 one day it got kind of interrupted, and he was telling them about it later. And he said, "Well," he said, "I was caught up into about the ninth heaven." I don't really know where the ninth heaven is, but he was caught up. He said, I was caught up into about the ninth heaven. And then this crazy thought came through my mind. Are a steer's horns in front of his ears or behind? And you've had the same strange things when you're trying to pray, you're trying to worship, and then out of nowhere or how about this tasks you need to do that you forget every other hour of the day suddenly come to mind when you're trying to pray now I remember our former superintendent brother Moore used to say I keep me a little legal pad right by where I'm praying and if anything like that I need to remember comes to mind I write it down and go right back to praying I keep my phone by me and I do the same thing. If something comes up, I'm like, yep, okay, there we go. Now back to you, Lord. 
But the reality of it is this. Why do things come that never come any other time? That just points out to you the reality of the opposition to your worship life. The enemy does not want you worship. He wants you distracted. And when that comes up, you just you might as well get excited, get happy, run around the room, dance a little jig, because what it means is the enemy's real and your progress is real. The enemy's attack is real, but your worship must be real or he wouldn't be attacking it. Something's going on or he wouldn't have even showed up. Worship is going to bring out an enemy. Now, verse 9 declares that the star led the magi until it stood over the place where Jesus was. Now, worship then always brings you to Jesus. If you're somewhere and the focus of what's going on does not get you focused on Jesus, that's not really worship. Prove it. Revelation 4, the picture of what is eternally going on in the heavens, declares that there's a throne, one who sits upon the throne. And if you read all of Revelation 4 and 5, everything in heaven is oriented around the throne. Real worship leads you to the Lord, nothing else. Not just to the Lord's works. I'm going to say this. People are carnal and they get real excited talking about the works of God. Well, we're going to praise him for his mighty acts because Psalm 150 tells me that's part of it. But once I've praised him for his mighty acts, I'm going to worship him for just being him. Because all of this is leading me to him, not to things, not to his results, not to answered prayer. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to thank God for it. But at the end of the day, all that does is bring me back to how faithful he is and how powerful he is and how good he is and how much he loves me. And it all brings me to him. That's worship. Worship brings you to Jesus. Man, this is the fastest I ever preached because I'm on to another one. Verse 10, of course, I've got 38 points, so. Got to move. I'm just kidding. I don't really. Then verse 10 declares, verse 10 declares, see, I'm not going to tell you how many I got left because the optimistic ladies will put their shoes back on. Verse 10 declares that when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Worship is going to bring you to Jesus. And when you get there, Worship is going to bring you joy. You might as well go ahead and get ready for that. You might as well go ahead and just open your heart for it. You might as well open your mind to it. Worship journey shouldn't be a heavy journey. The presence of God may be heavy because the kabod of God, the, in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew word for the glory, kabod, it is weighty. If you're in the presence of God and God, God begins to manifest himself on you, his presence can become very weighty, which is exactly why some folks end up falling down or feeling like oh, I really have to kneel. Or Yes, absolutely. But spiritually speaking, it's not heavy. Because even when you're overcome by the presence of God, you may end up on your face, but your heart is <laughs> rejoicing that you've drawn that near to him. There's always joy in worship. There should be. This is why church services and your prayer life should be joyful events. If there's no joy in where you're visiting church, 
you might want to visit somewhere else. Selah. And if your prayer life never has any joy, you might want to pray differently. Because when you get to his presence, that's where the Bible says fullness of joy is. Worship brings joy. Verse 11 declares, they entered into the house. I love that they didn't just stand around the house. Now, you know what the star couldn't do? You know what the Holy Spirit can't do? He can lead you toward the Lord. He can lead you in your journey of maturity and growth. And even in, the, in, in your prayer life, in your worship, he can lead you right to where Jesus is. But he can't make you go in the house. The star, the Bible says, stood over the house. But the Bible says they went in. Can I tell you, we have a lot of worship times in this church when the star, the Holy Spirit, is standing over a moment in worship. But everybody don't go in the house. Jesus is available to be experienced and worshiped. The Holy Spirit has led us to a certain place. Everybody doesn't go in the house. That's going to be up to us. We get that choice. Do you enter in or do you not? But I do enter into his presence with thanksgiving. And I do enter into his courts with praise. And I do want to boldly come before the throne of grace. And I do want to respond like John did when he heard from heaven, come up here. And actually go in the house because worship brings you into the house or the throne room of God. Worship should transport us out of the earthly reality into the heavenly reality. Pastor, is that escapism? Yeah, probably. Praise God. Because in a world, see, it's very, I, I'm, not, I'm not angry with people who, who deal with substances in their life for an escape or a door to another reality. I'm not angry at that. Now, I want them free. I want them in the truth. But I'm not angry because why? They're looking for another reality. I don't blame them. Me too. I just happen to have found the one that gives life and not takes it. Your prayer life, your worship, should bring you into a different reality. You ever gone into worship or prayer, and when you went on about your day or your business, your mind was completely different than when you went in in the first place? Why? Because you entered a different reality. The same problems were awaiting you when you came out of prayer or worship that were there when you went in, but you were different because you went somewhere else for a little while. That's because Hebrews says we boldly approach the throne of grace, and he didn't say it metaphorically. We really are doing it. I don't know, it sounds kind of weird, okay? We're talking about spiritually. Now, the Lord can take your body right out of here and let you visit heaven bodily. He can do whatever he wants to do. But I know what he definitely will do if you allow it. And that is, you are spiritually, Ephesians says, seated in Christ in the heavenly places. And he will let you become so aware as you worship of that reality till that, whoo, that reality is more real to you than this one. 
That's when the scales get tipped in your favor. Because then when you got to get ready and go on to work, that's when, when the service goes over and you got to go back to normal life, you see everything differently now. You're not despair. You're not hopeless. You're not angry. You can be at peace. You can have joy. Because I've been to the real reality. See, this reality is all going to burn up and blow away one day. But that reality that I visit in worship, that one is forever. And he says this spirit we have is a down payment. It's the earnest of our inheritance. That means he intends for us to taste the eternal. Because I'm pretty sure Jesus knows how desperately we need to taste the eternal. Because of the way this life really is. Worship brings me into the throne room. When we get there, worship brings something else. Brings a revelation of Jesus because the Bible says they saw the child. They didn't get in the door and they're like, well, now we're going to keep you in this other room because we're a little afraid. You know, there's some protocol because it's a new baby. There's RSV, right, in this season. And we're not really sure because COVID and we're not, you know, and we, you know, let's keep you in here. Now we're glad to have you in the house. You know, but Mary, bring you a glass of sweet tea, but we, you can't come in and see the baby. They were allowed to see the child. Their worship journey culminates in this very moment when they see the face of God. Wow. I expect when I worship, nothing less. Lord, if you're welcoming me into your throne room, if I get to come before the throne of grace, if you say draw near to me and I draw near to you, when he says draw near to me, he didn't say, now you'll get to come three-fourths of the way or part of the way. Nope, he didn't give me any limitations. So I'm expecting as I worship to get a revelation of Jesus. When I get done worshiping today, I'm gonna know him more than I did yesterday. I'm gonna have more understanding of his character, his truth, his love, his ways, because I'm gonna get a revelation when I worship. You know what, if you expect that, you will. You will. Verse 11. Oh, now we really are. We are at the home stretch here. Verse 11 also declares that in his presence, this is neat right here, are you ready for this? They opened their gifts. Worship, church family, unlocks your gifts. Why? Because Jesus is the one they're for. This is why it doesn't matter what the Lord has placed in you. See, they had things in their hands, valuable things. You have things in your hands that are valuable things. Stop thinking you don't. You do. You weren't created with no value. Stop that. You, you have valuable things that God's placed inside of you. And if those are preaching, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I've heard that. I know how that, I know that opinion, I've heard it. But the problem is, when we worship, it starts unlocking the gifts God's placed in us. And how dare I sit right there or stand right there after we've worshiped and we have an awareness of God's presence and I know some, there's someone in pain and I don't call that out and pray for it? How dare I? Not let worship unlock the gifts. 
not give time if there's a message in tongues or a word of prophecy to let that happen because when we worship, the gifts, the things that are placed inside, the given in our hands, they get unlocked so that we can do what with them? Give them back. They all, they're all to honor Jesus. And so we unlock the gifts when we worship. And then what's beautiful about them is our gifts become worship. As you worship and you're in the presence of the Lord just on your own in church, wherever it is, and you are drawing near and you have revelation of the Lord and you begin to find out who you are in him and what he's called you to be and to do, and those things, those gifts he's placed inside of you become to, come to be unlocked, there's something inside of you that gets stirred and you want to put them out there to bring honor to him. You want to use them as worship. As you draw near to him, you realize there's something. See, some of you didn't even know for years and years God had put anything inside of you. You didn't even know it. But you woke up when you started worshiping him. Some, you started being in his presence and realizing he's, he's put something in me. Yeah, because worship unlocks your gifts. And the next thing you know, you want to use them. You want to do something with what God's given you because you want it to bring honor and you want it to bring worship back to him. And what do you do then with those gifts? See, those, those, those magi, they offered their gifts. They worshiped the Lord with what they had been given. And then the Bible says that they went back. They went back into your, their world. See, worship is a continual journey where we access the presence of God and we honor and love on Jesus. We experience him. And we go back into our world. And we go back because there's a world that's never been in the room we were in. Don't get frustrated because they haven't been in the place you've been. Be inspired because they haven't been in the place you've been. You've been in that room where Jesus is, so you want to take it to them. Worship will move you back into your world because then worship, you can't stay focused on you. You've seen the face of God. You've been moved in your heart. And now you recognize I got to go back because there's something for me to offer these folks. Worship will move you back into your world. Now that you've been changed, now that you've received revelation, now that your gifts have been unlocked, you have something to offer. And you take that back into your world and share it and spread it. And the worship journey is complete when you return from worship to the same place, catch this, but a different way. Because having been warned by God in a dream, they went back to the same place, but they went a different way. When you've encountered the presence of the Lord in worship, you're going to go back to your same place, but you're going back a very different way. 